Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I am glad because we are the church. We are the pillars and the ground of the truth. We started a new series. It's a mini-series. It's going to finish today by the grace of God. And then in August, we're going to kick up our Overcoming the World of uh, Overcoming the World Volume 2 or Division 2 of Overcoming the World. We have two more divisions after that. And we're going to be dealing with systemic authority, and then we're going to go into spiritual warfare. And after spiritual warfare, we're going to we're going to talk about taking our place over the world because that that particular um, one, as we advance, and then, of course, Overcoming by Faith, I have about two volumes as well. We've done Overcoming Sin, and God really blessed us with that, but we, we're still working on that as well. But we wanted to, um, because of the sake of the times, um, do a new series, and we've entitled it The Act. Revelation, the ACT, which is Awakening the Church to the Times, Awakening the Church to the Times. So let's not delay. Let's go straight into that teaching. Get your notebooks out. If you didn't hear last week's message, get last week's message. I'll do a little quick review, but we're going to go straight into new information today because we're going to finish this under the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, this is the day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and guide to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought, to make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I, have, I say, have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And, Father, in everything that shall be accomplished and revealed, you be glorified. Hallelujah. You be magnified. And, Father, we will give you alone all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, get your notebooks out because we're talking about the act revelation. The Act Revelation, Awakening the Church to the Time. And today's subtitle is Establishing the Altar of Reform. Establishing the Altar of Reform. But before we got into that, we, we, we talked about empowering the great engaging the first lesson. And I gave the examples of, of Noah building the ark in Genesis chapter 5 to 9, how he stayed consistent with the still small voice, how he should not at the, the attempted power plays of the world, but he stayed focused on what God had him to do. As a result of him staying focused, he stood and having done all stood standing. And as a result, God was able to repopulate the earth with a form of righteousness that would at least introduce the Lord Jesus Christ as the solvent. Of course, this is the lineage of Jesus being established under the covenant which God, which God has, uh, has swore by himself with the rainbow, that he would never do that to the earth again as far as abolishing it because of the corruption that had come over 
the, the, the creative order which he had established. God never intended laws to govern people. He always intended his spirit to govern people, and he wanted the spirit to have a liberty so that the people would come to the ways of the truth instinctively. But that was distorted by the Adamic covenant that was, um, that was really corroded with the introduction of the knowledge of the good and evil. And as a result, people had started doing all types of things and enforced consequences and judgments out of God, which God never wanted. So he had to reestablish a covenant with the people to fellowship with them and establish embedded righteousness. So not only did we have to engage by obeying, he had to engage. He had a great engagement. He had to empower that engagement, and that's why he established the flood. See, God's nature is holy. And this is the part that the world doesn't understand. He's an all-holy God that cannot look on sin. And it's not that he's trying to execute judgments to curse the land and destroy people. But his nature demands that there be a level of holiness and righteousness and justice and equity to the people that is covenant with him. And that could not happen with, with, with the people of, of, prior, of creationism because, because the covenant had been broken. And the consequences of breaking a covenant while alive is death. And it has nothing to do. It's the nature of the covenant. It's the nature of the covenant. The consequence of covenant breaking is death, physical death. So God had to reestablish a covenant with the people. He told, Mo, uh, he told uh, uh, Noah to preach righteousness and call the people to repentance. Call them to come into this all. And they looked at him like a joke because they never saw rain. They never saw what he said. But even though they never saw what he said, what he said was so. And God may have you in a position. If you're going to engage the world, then you may have to say some things that have never been said before. You may have to do some things that have never been done before. But you've got to stay consistent with the still small voice. Shake not at the, uh, the attempts of power plays that exist. And you've got to stand and having done all, stand. We also talked about eradicating the lukewarm gospel approach to ministry. Remember, God said, because you're neither hot nor cold, I don't want to have nothing to do with you when he was talking to the seven churches. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 3.16, don't mix the message behind the gospel. Don't teach them to form ambitions that drive the word-driven revolution. Because the word of God, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can approach God and get the answers you need. Glory to God. Bless his holy name. Because he has something greater at hand. So we talked about that. And then we talked about equipping the saints for combat. Because the saints are not prepared for the day. Because one, we're playing games. Two, we have pleasures of sin. Three, we don't know, we don't have the proof that is needed to transform the world to say, what must I do? What must I do? We need to have an act revelation. Faith without works is dead. Faith without proof is fake. And I've been telling the church, if you're going to be the church, be it all the way. 
people don't be it at all. God needs a church that is driven by spiritual combat because we are saints equipped for the day. And so we went to Ephesians 6, how how the <clears throat> scripture embeds the obligation of sanctification. It empowers personal devotion and it gains supernatural intercession. We also went through esteeming the believers for righteousness. And that's why we went to Proverbs um, 14.34, and I gave a little dissertation on, on righteousness. To do righteousness is more acceptable to the Lord, Proverbs 21.3. The path of the righteousness is life, and in there there is no death, Proverbs 12.28. And then we went to uh, Titus 3.5-7, which deals a lot with righteousness. And, and I gave a good definition that it was righteousness is the act and resolve of redemption um, a result of, uh, and resolve based on the redemption actions Christ took to empower his church. So righteousness is the empowerment of the church. Why? Because we're totally in line with the plan, the path, and the purpose of God. So in that, I talked about erecting an altar of reform. And I said this is going to be a call to the church, not to the world, but to the church. The only the solution, the solvent to the world is the church. That's what Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, upon the revelation of who I am, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jude tells us to contend for the faith. And the only way we can contend is erect an altar of reform. And that's where I want to pick up today because now I want to talk to the church and church leadership and really deal with something that we can do systematically. You know, because what I'm finding is we got a lot of people wearing collars and robes that have no character. We have a lot of people that are performing acts, religious acts, without a relationship with God. We have a lot of people that claim they are saved when they have no sound doctrine to afford them confidence in what they believe and why they believe it. And as a result, the world is incorporating principles in the church and the sacred place where we get the solutions and the solvent, the solvent to what needs to take place in order to transform society in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God. We must build an altar of reform. So now turn with me in your Bibles, well, actually, to the book of Acts. And it's, as we go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is, is a wonderful book because the acts are not the actions of man, really. It's the actions of the Holy Spirit. But it also is a good book to go to to see in the scriptures what happened after Jesus ascended and also uh, what what was the anticipation as a result of an empowered people? And what were the results of that anticipation? See, it, it, I, I love going through the book of Acts, but, you know, instead of taking you through a dissertation of it, you read it on your own time. But I definitely want to tell you the ascension of, of, of Acts is also found in, um, uh, the ascension of Christ is found in Mark 16, 19, Luke 24, 50, and 51. But in verse 9 of chapter 1, Jesus has spoken these things, and he said, why do you stand here gazing? Verse 11 really says in chapter 1, verse 11, 
while you stand here again, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So he said, look, go ahead and do the work. Don't, look, don't be staring at me. Don't be worrying about Jesus. Jesus is still going to be Jesus. Amen. He's still going to be the Lord. Amen. He's going to be on the throne. But I need you to do something. And in anticipation of that, it motivated them to go to the upper room and to wait for the promise and to wait, and wait earnestly for the things that God promised. See, the power of the new covenant was established upon better, upon better promises so that we could, we, we could learn these, these, these truths and be engaged into the world. Amen? But today we're also establishing a, a, uh, a, an altar of reform. Why? Because we've erected an altar. If we've erected an altar of reform. Everybody's talking about they want to change the world. Well, you have to have a strategy to change the world. You have to be empowered to change the world. And you can't be sitting there in, in uh, a little collar with no, not informed about cultural times and not informed about technology and not informed about progressing and expect God to use you because you're not relevant. And, uh, you know, some, some church, and, and the sad, it saddens me, we got a lot of people, it, it seems like the church was headed, you know, in a way, from an apostolic vantage point, it was we were we were headed in a in, in a dynamic in a, di- a dynamic advancement when the when the manifestation of the Holy Spirit awakened. But somehow through time, we have uh, we have demonized the supernatural, and so now the voice of relevance for the church seems irrelevant because they know we really are not operating in the power to transform the lives of people because they're not being transformed. They're being entertained. You see preachers coming on TV just to argue like Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton is irrelevant. He's a barker. Very few cases have really been transformed. In this, oh, okay, I said the name. I'm sorry. But, uh, I'm sorry, Al. Praise the Lord. But it's all right. Bring it. You, you, you know, people like him and Jesse Jackson. Char- character, uh, moralistic values diminished. And even though they go by the name Reverend, you don't see them in churches on Sunday. They're just political uh, stunt men, placed place to to represent a people they don't know. And while they're dressed up and get, getting the money uh, backed by white owners, bark at the sleeping people. You know, the the politics and the policies and the performances. And, and, and the injustice that's still taking place, even uh, almost 100 years after uh, segregation, there are almost 100 years after segregation, it's still taking place. Why? Because the church is asleep. They're not, they're not represented. They're not connected to the church. They're connected to the agenda. They're not anointed to be the voices of the church. And a lot of preachers, unfortunately, because we have not, really engage this world to transform it. We've used our pulpits to get a, a, a pocket change in the, in, the, in the basket so we can live, have a nice car, have a nice house, take care of our first ladies, let them wear good hats on and wear on. We use, first lady ain't even in the book of the Bible. Ain't no position called first lady. What is that? 
If she's not doing nothing, she's no different than the other members of the church. Irrelevant. You know, we got we got people with titles. We got bishops of transportation. That's the stupidity that's taking place in the church. We got co-pastors. What does that mean? Corporate pastor, really? What corporation are they over? Are they executives? Or are they just being put in positions just to take offerings? These are, you know, just to get money so that when you and your wife can have the same salary. You know, these things have been inserted. And, and we wonder why. Yeah, but, and I go with the past. I can say because I've been behind the desk and I've been behind the office. You know, we got a lot of stuff going on in churches. You know, the preachers, we're bringing people in to, to, to be crowd fillers. And they, they say a little stuff, ooh, hocus pocus, playing magic shows. They're entertaining versus establishing and erecting an altar. So I want to talk about establishing this altar because not only do I want us to put up something temporary, I want to put up something that transforms us, amen? And so here, you know, they had one altar experience called the upper room, and that's what I wanted to get in this particular chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, glory to God. Now, Pentecost is the birthday of the church, because that's when the church was awakened. What, what awakened the church? The demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Oh, yes, Lord, I almost felt my help and went into the, to the zone, but I'm gonna I'm I'm hold it for the sake of of of, of presenting the message in, in its in its in its fullness. But see, when the day of Pentecost, they were all in on one accord in one place. That place was an altar, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind, and they were all filled and filled in the house where they were sitting. There was a place why God stands in the congregation, when God is standing, there's no need for you to stand. You sit at And you let God have his way. Why? Because you erect the altar of reform. Glory to God. And there appeared unto them clothing tongues like as the fire and is set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them other. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews of devout men out of every nation under heaven. What's not happening is we're not having a multicultural experience in the church. You see how there were men in every nation. Now, when this was when this noise, uh, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came and gathered and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. See what's happening? The spirit drives the church to reform, and when the spirit is engaged in the sitting place. When we're on one accord in one place, glory to God, you get the world's attention. And this is why in these new movements, uh, especially in in the white church, and there's still a white church in the black church, don't let people lie. We're not a reconciled church, and reconciliation is not just a call, it's it's an action. You know, just because you got a couple of white people in your church don't mean you're multicultural. Just because you got to ask, you got some people from Africa, and then you got a couple of Spanish people, and then you got two white tokens, don't mean you're a multicultural church. A multicultural church is where every nation and every tribe has, a, has engaged and said, hey, we've put down the barrier of our racial distinctions, and we've become identified in Christ. That hasn't happened. Because in order to put it down, you got to address the issues that say, hey, we have been identifying people 
by their racial distinction. We've even class we've also created classisms in the church. And the only classism that should be in the church are those that are set in authority as gifts to protect the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edification of the body and the saints of God. That's all. The saints and the saints of gifts. Because we're all one. We're in one accord in one place and we sit down and allow the spirit of God to have its way. That's not taking place in church. We're entertaining. We got artists coming in in the church. We got uh, we got uh, phonies and tapes leading our children, trying to teach them something that we call Sunday school, and they have not been to school. What is wrong with that? How are you gonna have a Sunday school teacher and never been to Sunday school, or never been to school and been educated about the Bible? So you got ignorant theology coming out. You got ignorant. Glory to God. You know, well, this is the apostolic teaching now. You know, and I'm not talking about apostolic teaching, you know, the ones baptized in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about that stupid. I'm talking about the 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 teaching of 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 a church driven by the authority of spiritual leadership. People that are anointed with the message from God. And that's what the church was introduced to. The Spirit of God was on everyone that met in the church. And the Spirit of God was separating these men to act. And they spoke boldly and gave accounts of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's apostolic teaching. That's apostolic authority. Stop holding that uh, concept of being baptized in Jesus' name. It's okay. Ain't nothing wrong with being baptized in Jesus' name. Neither is it nothing wrong with being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But if you're really an apostolic authority and apostolic teacher, you're driven by the revelation of the resurrection. You're driven by the authority of the moving of the spirit in the church versus being associated as a church. I got to finish this series, and, and in, in finishing this series, I want to caution you in the next 20 minutes that the church must be driven deeper. And I taught a message years ago about driving deeper, but in order to be driven deeper, we have to establish ourselves in the altar of reform. And that's establishing ourselves in righteousness. Now, let me give you this. There are things that advance the awakening process. Three things. Number one, a competent, driven leadership. A competent, driven leadership. Acts 6.3. Let's go there right quick. A competent, driven leadership. Listen. This is what the church did when they, after, you know, when Peter came and explains Pentecost in chapter 2, after his explanation, the church grew. The scripture says in Acts 2, 47, or, um, or Acts 2, let's go, um, 41, Acts 2, 41, it says, and then they were gladly after he gave me, he said, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, verse 40, saying, save yourselves from this outward generation. Don't, you know, uh, I like that word, uh, or untoward ge generation. Now, that word right there should take you to a median in the scriptures, which lets you know, um, make sure I get it right. Crooked, you know, a crooked. Their direction is not their direction is not clear. From this crooked, so on toward it means crooked generation. 
Then there, so what he dealt with, oh, listen, when the Holy Spirit empowers you to preach, ultimately the message that is going to, to convict and confront and to, and to confirm is going to cause this generation to go out of crookedness. And the only way you can do that is to correct righteousness. But anyway, we're going to talk about that in a second. I wanted to show you that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What was the apostles' doctrine? It wasn't being baptized in Jesus' name. Don't be stupid. The apostles' doctrine was what Jesus did. They were confirming that he was Lord and Christ. The apostles' doctrine was what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. The apostles' doctrine was the revelation of the resurrection and how that resurrection affects your life when you engage and await for the promises of the Spirit. That's the apostles' doctrine. Follow, and, and they fellowship, they not only just heard doctrine or teaching, they fellowship and they broke bread and they prayed in prayers. And the fear of God and, and the fear, which is reverence, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And they all believed. And what is it? And all that believed, and all that believed were, were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods. They began to act. The church was awakened. The church was awakened. They began to act. And it says they had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted to them all men, every name they had need. And they continued daily in one accord in in the temple. Here we go. And breaking up bread for the house um from house to house. So this was the, the, what they had at the house to house was fellowship. They didn't have church because they still were meeting in the temple. So you got this house to house movement out there trying to call themselves a church. Take your behind in a temple. Anyway, praise the Lord. I'll, I'll deal with that another day. We don't have to hide in, in house to house anymore. We don't have to do a house to house movement and have small group movements to empower the church. What they did in house to house was great bread and they fellowship. Gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to that church daily as such should be saved. And then you see here from this point, the church goes from 120 people in an upper room to a couple of thousand. Now, for the sake of time, I want to talk about how we establish this altar of reform. We await, we, we recognize that we need to awake, but there are three forces that cause this, um, this advance of this awakening. And number one is competency driven leadership. And I was taking you to Acts 6 3, which says simply, find men full of the Holy Ghost that can do this business. And of course, you know, we, we can say mankind, but he was talking about physical men in this particular scripture. But I mean, we, we, we've evolved as people that know that, you know, we know no man after the flesh, but after Christ. So we don't have to uh, just talk about men, but to see the diaconate, see, we, we messed up the deacons. You're talking about the protect the pastor. No, that's not what it was. Men for the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, the business of establishing the kingdom of God, the temporal affairs of the church. To help the multitudes, the twelve multitudes, disciples unto them, and said, "It is not that we should leave the word of God to serve tables." So they were engaged. These people that were full of the Holy Ghost were engaged into uh, uh, community affairs, taking care of the widow, taking care of the community, so that the apostles or the apostolic authority could focus on the word of God. So yeah, you, you got people 
on, on TV um, talking about the, the church should be more political and your preachers should be like politicians. The devil is alive. We're supposed to focus on the word. The, the, the po political agenda is beneath us. It's beneath the authority that we're going on. Lord Jesus, I know I'm controversial today, but praise the Lord. You know, and the, and the temple, the, the, the temple affairs should be driven by the diaconate or the leadership. The leadership that is appointed in the church to serve the culture and the community should be driven by people that are competent and full of the Holy Spirit. So I call it competent church-driven leadership. And this is not, hey, we're not, we're, not talk, we're not competent just having a bunch of riots. We need food pantries. We need homeless shelters. We need job, um, we need job workshops and things. And those things need to be happening in the church house. We need a whole other economic uh, cycle and economic policies embedded in the status of the church through the authority of the church. And the only way the preachers can stay in revelation is you get the preachers out of that and then give them focus on the word of God and so they can get revelation from God and we, we drive competent leadership in the church, amen, instead of playing around wearing a bunch of collars and looking the part with no power. Then the second one, we need conversion discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 gives us the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, which said, go into the world and make disciples, which means you got to have a message that drives discipline and devotion and dedication to the things of God. That's what the discipleship program, first is a discipline program that, that teaches people to be dedicated and devoted to the things of God. And, and, and listen, this is not cell groups, because when you, when you go into people's homes, everybody don't believe what you believe, preachers. Discipleships are driven by, should be driven by the diaconate or the deacons, men full of the Holy Ghost that are engaging the culture so that the pastors can focus in the Word of God. That's a real church. Oh, the church is an altar. It's a place of sacrifice, a place of worship. We sacrifice to serve the Lord with, with the understanding of the revelation we receive from the word. The diaconate or the deacon community, they serve the present generation and teach them not to be crooked, right? But we as a church collectively serve one another in the fear of the Lord and in love. And we're in one accord, making certain that the needs of the people in the community are taking place. With everybody in their place, as God pleases, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as it pleases the Lord. And he's appointed some to do this and do that for the working of the ministry, for the edification of the saints, and for the, uh, the building up of the body. And this will cause, Ephesians 4 is what I'm referring to, this, this, this will awaken to competency-driven leadership. It will awaken to conversion, discipleship, and then it also will awaken through correction in righteousness. And the reason why it will happen in correction in righteousness is because all of this is founded in the word of God. All scripture is breathed, spirit breathed, is inspired of God. Right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3.10. Glory to God. And, 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 of course, you know, the conclusion is that all of it will be, well, let's, let's just go there for time's sake. 
I want, want to make sure that you know these scriptures as well. I don't want you to just take me for, but when you're the apostolic teaching, you don't necessarily wait, you know, proof text, but for the sake of systematic study, all scriptures, 316, uh, 2 Timothy says, all scriptures is given by inspiration of God and are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, and, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, with the last, whenever you do these, when you see these lists that come up in the scripture, the last one always carries the weight of the others. Doctrine, reproof, and correction are all based on instruction in righteousness. And righteousness is what Christ empowered the church through his redemptive act to be empowered as the church. The church is, is the only institution that can exist in righteousness, not politics. Anyway, that the man of God may be perfect. Perfect, which means mature, spiritually mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And because those, those good works are what awaits in the process of being erecting an altar of reform, because we need to reform as the church. So for the five forces of a believer, uh, the believers can make is to define their Christian practice, to determine the contend for the faith, to develop convictions for the family, to drive competence in spiritual education to dedicate and consecrate self, themselves to serving. These forces will awaken the church. It will awaken the church because we've been playing church versus being the church. We've been going to services. God never required us to service. What is, what is that? We need to go to worship because God seeks of those that worship him to worship him in spirit, but we've been giving him service. You know, and I know this is services and root works for sacrifice, but sacrificial worship is, is engineered and, and, and governed and driven by the Holy Spirit. And we're not seeing that. We're seeing entertainment today. Go to churches, they don't even open up the scriptures and really understand what's going on. The pastor is illiterate. The saints are illiterate. The songs are illiterate. We sing a whole bunch of spiritual songs that don't tie into what the word of God says. Amen. All right, now let's talk about building this altar of reform. We're going to do this by great awakenings. And number one, the great awakening to the sacredness of true worship, restoring the power of purity, retraining uh, the power, retraining to the power of the spirit, and rethinking, rethinking the revival complex. Now, why do I say that? Because the things that we're doing is not godly. It's point blank. The things that we're doing are not godly. We need to build an altar of reform. Rethinking, rethinking the, uh, re restoring the power of purity. God is all holy. God can't look on sin. Get all the sin practices out of church. Don't tolerate sin and obvious sins and stuff that takes place in the church. It's an altar. You don't go to the altar in the old kind of way. An altar is a place where you either die or God purifies it and accepts it as acceptable. And you know some of the mess that's going on in the world and in the church today is unacceptable to the Lord. Build an altar of reform. Also, hallelujah, we got to awaken systematic excellence. You know, we go to churches, they start late, they service all day. Uh, the sound is horrible. 
The church is unkept. Nobody's sweeping and cleaning and, and engaging. They're not connected with the community and their neighborhood. They haven't even witnessed. They haven't even gone out and sent a flyer. We got to awaken excellence. Not only that, the way excellence is awakening the excellence is awakening ethics. In ethics, excellence is equipping the future. Your children. Some of the greatest ministries that should take place in the church is the children's church. And then also excellence in economic reform. We're throwing dollars and cents into the church without a strategy because it's not systematic excellence. And if the individual will practice excellence, then when they collect collectively, collectively, there will be excellence among them, and that excellence will provoke a community of excellence. And then we'll be able to, once we see excellence, we'll see exploits. Once God sees excellence, we will see exploits because he can trust us. He's excellent. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Meaning his reputation is excellent. So the only thing that he gives exploits to is those who operate in excellence. And that's just not looking the part. It's being the part. Being the part. All right? So. Excellence in ethics, excellence in equipping the future, excellence in economics. The third awakening is the awakening to social transformation or societal transformation, serving the community with creativity, strengthening acts of commonality um, of community reform, and stretching our focus to reach the lost for real. If they're lost, we've got to find them, put them in place. That means you don't just go out and talk about, oh, we just want ministers to sit and get some coffee. And, oh, let's do that and tell them Jesus loved them. They need more than Jesus loved them. People are broke. They're hungry. They have no place to go. They have no place to stay. That's what we should be building in the church. You're talking about with the church, you know, you're talking about, oh, we're just going to go out. We're going to play some games with the kids. No, they're not coming to church. We're going to create a transportation system. But not only are we going to gather you at a one-time event, we're going to give you information about our church, and we'll be at your house next Sunday. You come hear the word of God from the apostolic authorities that he's placed in the church so they can receive the revelation from God and grow in this excellence. That's real church reform. Back in the day when people talk about they're going to have an event, they have an event, then they'll, 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 they'll bring a big white blue bus or a big white white bus. So every time that bus came in the community, the, the parents that even though they were going to hell in the handbasket, they send their children because they didn't want their children to go to hell. And they knew that the church was a safety place for the children, but now we got we got inappropriate people in place. And we don't have no transportation systems, no white buses coming around on Sunday morning picking up children for Sunday school because Sunday school don't happen. Praise the Lord. We're talking about serving the community, community with real creativity. That's not creativity. You know, having a little animal, a little animal party for a petting, a petting zoo for children, then they go back, no information about the church. Don't even have a statistical approach to how to get them to stay anyway. And and then and or or even with or even with these little Sundays, we call them dress down Sundays. What is that? That's not an altar of reform. You wouldn't dress down to go see the Queen of England. Why would you dress down to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's an altar. 
You don't come any old kind of way to an altar. It's a place where you meet and encounter God. And this stuff that's happening, we if we're like them, how can we be of um, transform them? You can't leave them and be like them. You got to be better. You got to do better. You got to have more excellence and be at the top of our games. And if you're going to be the church, be the church all the way or don't be it at all. Stop playing church and be the church. Awakening societal transformation. And then awakening to systematic warfare. Not this stupid stuff that's going around. We over here talking about God's going to bless you with a new car. God's going to help you with your esteem. God's going to make you look good. This is not the self-help service. This is to serve this generation, to show them that the ways of the world will lead to death. But the, the gift of God is life and peace and eternal life through Christ. What are we talking about? You don't need someone to tell you to get a, a car. Go get a job and buy one. You don't need someone to tell you you want to get a new house. Go get a plan and get one. Stop allowing people to play games and learn that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places where they have principalities and powers that, that come to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Tell them that we have a devil that comes to seek whom he may devour, that he uses people, he uses personalities, he abuses uh, 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 principalities and areas and realms to keep you from receiving the life that you need to live. You have a devil that's trying to kill you every second, and you over here playing around like you got it together. You don't. That's the gospel. You need Jesus. You need to be led by the Spirit. When a, a, when a gunman comes into a movie theater where people are watching some sin-sick movie and they get shot for no reason just because the person feels like shooting somebody to raise a political cause that it has no political hope, you know you need the power of the Holy Spirit to let you know somebody about to pop off up in here. And that's why we teach the Holy Spirit, because then you have an inward awareness of what's going on outside before it happens, because he'll reveal you the truth that you need to know, and the truth will make you free. And instead of preaching people being led and driven by the Holy Spirit, we're playing hocus pocus, and we're being spiritually raped and abused. And the way we, we, we awaken um, systemic warfare, spiritual, spiritual strength over systemic warfare is standardized spiritual superiority. Strengthen the power of a driven spirit. Search the scriptures to develop sound theology and doctrine about what it means to be led by the spirit. And then ultimately, as I get ready to draw to my close, number five, we have to awaken the signs of, to the signs of the times. Because these are what we're talking about. You know, we've been talking about engaging into globalization strategies. Because, you know, globalization has 12 forces in order to exist. And you can even know what those 12 forces are. Go look it up. Establishing prosperity and platforms. And the reason why I say that is because so many times we don't do the research. And these global forces are what is controlling reform. And we are supposed to, as the church, be controlling reform. And China and Europe, which is infested and infected with demonization, demonization and demonic warfare and systemic warfare to oppress people, are inserting and using uh, uh, superpower techniques driven to control and abuse people. And the ones which we 
escapes from us still controlling us because we got political idiots that are trying to reproduce after countries that have denied the faith and denied the name of the Lord Jesus and the world and, and, the, and, and the government which was established on the freedom which Christ had made us free and the government that was established to acknowledge God so that men could come and worship God in spirit and in truth. And the government that was established is now reverting back to the people that kept them bound before, which caused them to go to make the great escape. And so now you want, the, you want God to bless America with this foolishness that's going on? We're looking, we were once the superpower, now we're the super fools because we're, 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 we're taking our liberty and giving it back to the devil and allowing him to run havoc with it because we are not awakening to the signs of the times. We don't know the signs of the times because we haven't done a great observance on prophetic history. We have not done a great 